towards the end of high school, uh, I was, my whole belief system kind of revolved around science and, and mathematics and, and that kind of stuff. And um, I didn't really have any faith in, in God or anything because I was, I was never really raised that way. I, I'd been to church maybe half a dozen times in my, my life up to that point. So, like, the idea of God just didn't resonate with me at all. It was, um, it was all about things that you could scientifically explain and prove. That, that was God to me, was, the, the, was just science in general. How I viewed the world was it was a system of, or a group of systems that that could be understood and manipulated at our will, and uh, it was just a matter of, of understanding how how the world works, and then you could do whatever you want with within those systems. I was in the process of of looking for colleges to to go to and to apply to, and uh, I decided that I wanted to go to either MIT or Stanford. So those were the only two colleges that I applied to. Then eventually I, I got rejected from both of those schools and uh, I was just completely devastated at that point. It completely flipped my world upside down. I didn't know, um, I didn't know what to do. Eventually ended up applying for, for Iowa State University and, and ended up going there. And so once I got to college, I, I went into it with just the, a completely horrible attitude uh, that I, I was still just completely full of myself and egotistical and felt like I, I didn't belong there, that I was too good to go there and um, just completely like it was a waste of my time to even be there. So I just, I didn't even bother um, giving any effort at all into my classes. I went out and partied and got drunk and that first semester I, I had to drop about half my classes because I just didn't even show up for them. And after my first year of college, uh, I got involved in a, in a relationship that uh, ended really badly uh, over that summer, right before my, my sophomore year. And uh, at the end of that relationship, I just, I fell in, into this depression and uh, I just completely, like I, I had put everything that, of myself into into this relationship and believing it was it was going to work and it was going to be forever and um, then when it when it all just came apart it, it was like there was nothing I could do to to save it and it just completely flipped my my whole worldview on end again because it was like. Here's something else that's just completely out of my control. The, like, I I understand everything that was, or I understood everything that was that was happening that was causing it to go on the course it was going on. But I still couldn't do anything to to control it. It was out of my control, and that that just really hit me really hard. That ultimately there's there's so many things in this world that are are out of my control. That no matter how much I understand, no matter how much power or whatever I have that I there's going to be stuff that I just have no control over that fall semester of my my sophomore year of college I uh, basically just gave up on everything and and just gave into that that depression and uh, I completely stopped going to classes I, I basically stopped interacting with any of my friends and 
and just shut everyone out. I didn't really uh, want anything to do with them. I, eventually, I, I withdrew from classes altogether that semester, got a uh, medical withdrawal for, for depression. And um, my parents, uh, I moved back in with my parents back here in Missouri. and. Uh, they had me go see a couple different psychiatrists and psychologists and just trying to to figure out what was wrong with me and, and fix me and um, but nothing nothing really worked like all the people that I that I talked to and all the the different medications that I tried and everything it I mean the best that it could do was just make me completely numb to everything that was going on to all the pain that I was feeling and um, it just it it didn't improve anything, and I I just essentially gave up on on life altogether at that point. So for the for the next like couple of years, uh, that was just how I lived as essentially a vegetable. I um, just sat in my room, twenty four hours a day, uh, playing video games online and living in this this imaginary world where where I was in complete control of everything. That was, that was a world where I could absolutely be in control of, of everything that was happening. And if something happened that I didn't like, I could either turn the game off or, or hack the game to make it, make it work the way that I wanted it to. And uh, so I just completely immersed myself in, in, that, in that, that fiction of uh, a world where I could control everything where, while I just completely gave up essentially on, on the real world. So it, it just continued like that for a couple of years. My parents tried everything they could think of to try to, to get me out of it. And uh, they tried like encouraging me to, to go out and make friends or, or get a job or whatever. And they, they tried threatening me with, with kicking me out of the house and just nothing, nothing really worked. Nothing motivated me. I, I just, was completely dead to this world, and uh, I, I didn't, I didn't want to live anymore. I, I had no purpose for living. I was just kind of passing the time, and there were a few times when, when I thought about suicide and, and killing myself, but uh, I ultimately, I just couldn't go through with it, and again, I never actually made a, a real attempt at that. Ultimately, I, I, I got, I guess, just bored of, of the video games and everything and, and started going outside uh, back in the fall of 2007. Uh, I, I decided to go just hang out in, in the park, kick a soccer ball around because I was, uh, I was, after four years of just sitting and playing video games, I was, I, I couldn't do it anymore. And so I happened to be out in the park one Saturday when uh, the youth group of the, the New Frontiers Church over there in Lee Summit, um, Grace Church, when they were starting a new youth outreach program, they, they saw me sitting there and came over and invited me to, to play soccer with them, just kick the ball around, hang out with the, the kids that were there. And um, So I went over and, and got to talking to them. And I went home and, and checked out their website to see, make sure they weren't some kind of weird cult or anything like that. And uh, they, I mean, they seemed pretty normal from what I could tell. And, so then the next day I went and checked them out. I, I sat in the back corner of, of the meeting and just kind of watched everything happen. It was 
completely unlike anything that I expected church to be. Uh, during worship, I, di I didn't stand up at all. I just kind of looked around at everybody jumping and singing and raising their hands, and I was like, what's going on here? This is kind of weird. So I went back again the, the following Sunday, and I remember during that meeting uh, just getting this, this intense image in my mind, like, a, like I was seeing it right in front of me, of uh, just this, this pure white flame, like starting in my heart and burning outward, like burning away all, all this darkness and, and guilt and shame. Everything was all this gross blackness that I had been, I felt like I'd been carrying around. Uh, it was all just, just burnt away and, and it was n nothing left but this, this pure white, um, clean, clean body. And um, I'm just completely overwhelmed by this, this sense of love and, and this huge weight lifted off my shoulders that I, I felt like that the depression and, and everything that I, I had I had been suffering from for for years. It was all just just gone in that moment. It was just instantaneously. It, it was completely gone, and I I was I was just blown away by that. I I I couldn't understand that. I've been carrying this around for for most of my adult life, and then in just just that one moment, it was, it was just gone, and it it, it never came back. It, it was from that point onward, in that one moment, God had done something that no amount of of therapy and counseling and, and medication could even come close to. It was I, w I was completely healed of of that depression in that moment. And when when God broke into my heart and ultimately revealed that that He's real, that He is, that I'm a child of His, that I didn't, I couldn't put words to it at the time. I couldn't, I didn't have an understanding of of what it meant at the time. But in that moment, God completely healed me of of all the guilt and shame and depression, and He He gave me new life in that moment. I, in that moment, I was. I was born again. I came to understand that God is God, that, that Jesus died to, to save me from, from all the, the horrible stuff that I'd done in my past, all the horrible attitudes and um, everything that I had done. I think every sin I'd ever committed, it was all just washed away, like that, that image that I had of uh, everything just being burned away. It, it was because Jesus died for me because he gave his life for me. Uh, I didn't have to carry any of that, any of that stuff anymore. He was, he was taking it all upon himself. God was still working in my life throughout that whole time. He was still working through all, all the, the horrible decisions I made uh, and, and horrible attitudes that I had. He was still working uh, in all of that. He, he still used all of that to ultimately bring me to, to where I am now. And I'm, I'm just, forever grateful for, for that. There, there's nothing that I could ever do to repay that or to, to earn that from God. Uh, if there's anyone out there who's, who's struggling with, with depression or, or anything like that, where 
you feel like you're all alone or, or isolated or like there's no, no point in life, I, I would just say to them to don't shut yourself off from, from the world, but get out there and, and, and ask questions about what this is all about and, and talk to people who, who have experienced that for themselves, the, that sense of emptiness and, and loneliness and uh, just complete lack of purpose in, in life. And that there is actually more to life than that. There, there is a purpose for life. There, there's something worth living for, and, and that's God. That's, uh, once, you, once you understand that, that, and once you allow God to, to be a part of your life, it's he has the power to to completely take away just all all of the stuff that that you carry around that this feeling of of this huge weight weighing on you or or just feeling like you're all alone in the world like nobody understands what you're going through well god understands he he can see everything that's happening he knows what you're going through and the joy of knowing that you're going to spend eternity in heaven with God, it completely outweighs any momentary suffering that you have in this world, whether it's for, for a week or 20 years or an entire lifetime. No amount of suffering in this world can even come close to outweighing the, the eternity of joy and peace and happiness that he has waiting for us in heaven. And so I anyone out there who's who's gone through anything remotely like what I've I've gone through it, it I would just encourage you that God has something more for you than than what you're going through now uh, this isn't all that there is what what you're feeling right now is is not all there is to life that there is something so much more and that something is God it's always great to hear stories, isn't it, about how God's changing lives. And um, as each and every week, the person who's told their story has uh, communicated a verse or a text or a, co a collection of what that had been really helpful to them uh, through that that season. And and for when I was talking to Jason about it, he's just like any verse that has to do with the light. And so there's just there's a couple. Uh, he's going to read ones from Isaiah nine uh, two through seven. If you want to follow along. And this kind of holds your thumb there. And then also John 1, verses 4 and 5. And Jason, why don't you read those scriptures for us? All right. Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. 
the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. John 1, verse 4 through 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This passage in Isaiah 9 is it's a very famous passage. It's, it's, usually, um, uh, it's usually read at Christmas time. And uh, I never preached from it, and I'm so excited to be able to preach from it today. And, and it is kind of amazing when you think about, you know, we all have a story. We've all come to Jesus in a unique way. We, it's the same result, and that's him and his grace transforming us. But we, have, we all have a unique story. And one of the things I love about Jason's story is it has to do with light. And I love the, this opportunity to talk about uh, how Jesus is like. Because in this passage it says, in Isaiah 2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Or you could say it's flashed, it's come upon. And, and that word deep darkness, this compound word that Isaiah uses, is an interesting word because what it really means, it literally means the death shadow, that we are walking uh, in, the, in the death shadow. And what Isaiah is doing here, he's taking the idea of darkness and death and putting them together, and the idea of light and life and putting them together. And in general, that, that, that's very much true. Uh, light and life do go together. When, when God created the world, he said, let there be light. And he created light before he created um, life. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a curious guy. I, I ask the question, why a lot, or, or what if? And, you know, and I love Google for this, because you, know, you don't have to wonder. It's just like, Bam, you know, you can find out uh, certain things. And, and one of the questions I asked Google, I said, Dear Mr. Google, you know, what is, what, what would happen if the sun just completely disappeared? And um, lo and behold, there was an article from a popular science magazine, 2008, with the exact title, What Would Happen If the Sun Disappeared? And uh, there's also this really interesting article about how sometimes it feels like your phone is buzzing in your pocket when it's not. You guys ever get that? And uh, they explain that scientifically, why, why that is. Anyway, um, I got sidetracked. I, I get sidetracked too. And so anyway, but anyway, this, this article, they, they kind of laid out for, for why, uh, you know, what would happen if the sun disappeared. Well, first thing that would happen, is we, obviously, we get cold. The average temperature of the earth right now is 57 degrees, and it would, it, within the week, it would drop down to zero. Within, at the end of the year, it would be minus 100, and then eventually it would level off around minus 400. Now, as you can imagine, we would, most of us would freeze to death. Now, very few of us could potentially, as they point out, um, live at the deepest part of the ocean in a submarine for a season. A few of us could do that, right? Uh, but most of us would, uh, well, we'd freeze to death. And... Um, the other thing that would happen is that photosynthesis would stop immediately. And for those who don't remember seventh grade science, photosynthesis is how we get oxygen. You know, plants do that. And so that would stop immediately. So if you didn't freeze to death, you would suffocate. Now, apparently, there's enough oxygen in our atmosphere right now that, that we could live for a while, but then there'd be the problem of what would we eat because plants would be gone and most animals would be, and all animals would be gone by suffocation or them starving to death or freezing to death. So what would we eat? And so, and then you have this other problem though, that we get a lot of vitamin A and we get most of our vitamin A and vitamin D from the sun. So if we didn't have that, our bones would grow brittle and they would fall apart 
in our body. And so if you didn't um, freeze to death, suffocate, or starve, your bones would, would break. And the gravitational pull, like as soon as the sun went away, we would just fling off into space somewhere. So I don't, so here, here's, here's the point. We really need the sun, all right? So life is impossible. Life is impossible with, without, uh, without the sun. So what does this mean when it says those who dwelt in the deep darkness, on them the light has shown. This is not really a, this is not just simply a spiritual reference, but this is a reality um, that deep darkness and the death shadow is creeping upon us. This, this depression that, that Jason felt wasn't because he lacked perspective. It wasn't because he just, yeah, you know, he just, it was actually that he did have perspective, is that he was thinking about things, and, and he realized the despair that is reality. Um, we t- homeschool two of our three kids, and my wife is always doing these little science projects, and there's a science project that she wouldn't do that we can imagine, all right? And this is a science project, if you can kind of go with, on a thought journey here with me. Like, imagine today if you were to go home and, like, cook a brisket or a turkey or, you know, your favorite meat. And you didn't eat it, you just sat it there on the table, right? You sat there for five hours. What would happen after five hours? Well, it'd get cold. Well, what if you left it there for five days? It'd start to smell. What if you left it there for five weeks? You'd get maggots and, you know, somebody would call the health department and you'd get kicked out of your house and you'd live in your parents' basement again. Why? Because that piece of meat is losing energy, you and, and, and you're actually looking at yourself. I mean, it's going a little bit slower for you than it is the meat, but you're losing energy. You're, you're falling apart. You're disintegrating. And, and the sun is doing the same thing. This idea of living in the, in the death shadow is, is a reality. It's our reality. And if you're willing to think about it for a while, it is depressing. Unless... Unless something intervenes. If something doesn't intervene with that piece of meat, if, if someone doesn't take it and stick it in the fridge or do something with it, it's going to disintegrate. If something doesn't intervene with us, it's, we are going to disintegrate. A great light has busted in. And we need this great light. Um, you see, when God first created light, uh, he said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, has anybody else noticed that he creates light on day one, but he doesn't create the sun until day four, along with the moon and the stars? So he creates light before he creates the sun. Well, what's, what's going on with that? What's going on with that is that Uh, In the book of Revelation, when God creates a new heavens, when all death is gone, all disease is gone, and he wipes every tear, no more pain, no more uh, suffering, there won't be a sun anymore in that world because we won't need one. Revelation 21, 23 says, And the city has no need of a sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the lamb. There is an ultimate light, and there is an ultimate light where nobody dies, there is no decay, there is no death, there is no aging, there is none of that, and we need that light, and we are told here in this passage that God is going to give us this light. 
Well, how, how's that? How does that happen? Well, it's verse 6 and 7, the most famous part. For us, a child is born. This great light that kind of shines and pierces the darkness is this uh, child, this uh, son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All four of those names are either directly or indirectly uh, re- referring to God. And so, in other words, what this passage is saying, in the, in the midst of this death shadow, in the midst of this darkness, this light is going to pierce this earth, it's going to pierce the darkness, and it's going to come to us as a child, and this child is God. This is amazing. This is God becoming flesh. This is God incarnate. This is, this is God coming to earth and doing something about the darkness. And the fact that he's God, the fact that he's a mighty God, means that he can do something about the darkness. Right? He doesn't, he, he's not powerless. His arm is not too short that he can't save. But he's the mighty God, but he's also the wonderful counselor. And that word wonderful really is this word that means beauty, that, that we don't submit to God because we have to. We submit to God because there's beauty, that, that everything that we find attractive, everything that we de- desire at the deepest level of us is in him. He, he's the wonderful counselor. It also means that, so it's the fact that he's God means that he's powerful enough to do something. He can, he can actually defeat our greatest enemies of Satan, sin, and death. But he's also the wonder. He's become human. He, he understands us. He's the wonderful counselor. He knows our pain. He knows our suffering. He came and he, and he, was, he humbled himself to become a baby, a human, and he lived a perfect life. And he humbled himself uh, to death. He died for us. He humbles himself to that point, and he knows, because he became a human, he knows exactly what we're going through. He can relate to us. So he's God, so he's powerful, but he can also relate to us. Now, this is huge, because it helps us to understand uh, suffering. And, and, there, and I don't, and no one else does, have a complete answer for suffering, but this is what I know for sure, that there's, the reason why there's pain and suffering in the world isn't because he doesn't love us. That we know for sure. How do we know that for sure? Because he himself became an object of suffering. He bore our suffering. He entered our time-space world. He flashed onto the scene. And he became an object of suffering. Every, all kinds of suffering from the little trivial relational tension that we have. Testimonies, anyone? He knows all that. He knows all the junk that you're going through. He knows what it means to, uh, to have someone uh, turn their back on you. He knows, he knows about that. He knows all that stuff that you go through. He knows what it means to be alone. He knows that. He knows, what it, he knows the difficulty of paying the bills. And he's experienced the deepest possible pain at, at the emotional, physical, and spiritual level beyond imaginable. The pain, we, the, the pain that came from the cross on the physical sense, which the New Testament uh, focuses more on the spiritual uh, side of his suffering, but the physical sense was unbelievable. In fact, that word excruciating that we use whenever we have something that's really painful literally means from the cross. It's a pain that comes from the cross, excruciating. And he experienced that pain for us. 
Now, according to uh, Hebrews 12, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So there was joy in that. Joy of what? Well, it was love for us. It was love for us. He died. He experienced his pain. So he's this mighty God, wonderful counselor. Now, I haven't even said the best part yet because this is all a gift. Because it doesn't just say, uh, for unto us a, a, a child is born, but uh, for unto us a son is given. This is a gift. He gives us this. Because it, it, it says in verse 5 that there's going to be this great battle. So, you, you know, we, we, I don't know if this gets read at Christmas time, but you, you, you get the verse 2, which is, you know, great light is shone. Uh, shone has shown. And then in verse 6 and 7, you know, the whole for unto us the child is born, the government, and blah, blah, blah. You get that. But in the middle of that is this great battle. There's a battle that's going to happen with evil. And, uh, but it's a, it's a battle that we don't have to fight because that's why it says things like, you know, you, know, you don't need armor, you don't need a sword, burn it, burn it up, melt it up. You won't need it. Why? Because he's going to fight it for us. It's a battle that we don't have to fight. He's going to fight it for us. He's going to bear our uh, 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 affirmities. He's going to bear our uh, humanity. He's going to take it all on. He's going to take on the pain. He's going to take on the suffering. And he's going to handle it perfectly. He's going to handle it perfectly. For us. He's going to go to the cross. And he's going to do this in weakness. If you read on, and Isaiah tells us how. Isaiah 53, 6, it says, all of us, all we like sheep have gone astray. Every single one of us. We've all gone astray. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He's laid upon us the iniquity. Laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And so when Jesus came... To defeat, to defeat this great victory, he didn't come in strength, he came in weakness. Now this is huge. And the reason why this is huge, because if he came in strength to come and do something about the darkness, who would stand? Because at the center of all the injustice and darkness of the world is our own self-centeredness. Your pain and misery can be tracked to your own self-centeredness. All the injustice in the world can be tracked back to man's self-centeredness. And if, you're, if you haven't come to grips with, with what your human heart is capable of doing, you just, you just haven't lived long enough yet. And it's at varying degrees and levels, but, but that's what it is. So we, we want to blame everybody. You know, we want to blame you know, society. We want to blame the government. We want to blame, you know, whatever, education. You want to blame it on the rain, you know, whatever. And uh, we all have some, but we don't want to project it on ourselves. But at the center of it all, if, you, if you're willing to think of it, is, is, our, is our own self-centeredness. That's why it says, and we, we all have gone astray to each his own. We've all gone our own way. We've all become inward. We've all become on ourselves. And it's led to this misery. So if, if, our, if our self-centeredness is causing all this misery, and he comes in, in might and destroys darkness, who can stand with that? But he came in weakness. And he gives us a gift. Salvation is a gift. Now, here's the tricky part about that, is that to receive a gift, it, it, takes, it takes some pride swallowing, some gifts more than others. But in order to receive a gift, it takes some humility. All right, so for example, if like, you know, say your birthday was next week and somebody gave you a gift and you opened up, it's a, it's a book on dieting. <laughs> Thank you. 
for thinking about me. I really appreciate that. Or maybe another friend gives you a book, how you know how to win friends and influence people. And uh, it's like, yeah, okay, great. I know that I'm, you know, robust and I'm obnoxious. And uh, I, I receive these gifts. And, you know, I had a friend a year or two ago gave me a book, uh, How to Get People to Like You. And, uh, well, I, I know how you get people to like you. You don't give people books titled How to Get People to Like You. That's how you do that. Um, but anyway, there's a, there's a certain amount of humility, right, in receiving that gift. For you to appreciate that gift, you have to say, I, I need that. There is no gift on the face of the earth that's going to require more pride swallowing than the gift of salvation. Because Jesus Christ, king of the universe, left all that. He did not consider equality something to be grasped, but he came all the way down to our level. He took on flesh. He became a human being. He bore all the things that we bear, and he died on the cross a brutal, brutal death. You and I must be really bad. For you to receive the gift of salvation is going to say, I needed someone to do that. I needed that to happen for me. That takes some pride swallowing to receive that kind of gift. So it's a gift, but let's not like, let's, let's, let's understand what we're talking about here. In the greatness of Jesus, it says, again, in, in Philippians 2, it says that he humbled himself more than anyone. He became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And because he humbled himself more than anyone, he gets the greatest name. See, the greatness of Jesus was def defined in how much he descended on our behalf. And your greatness will be defined by if you follow his trajectory. Will you lower yourself? Will you humble yourself? And will you receive this gift? Because you and I, whether you realize this or not, we were in the death shadow. And you need light to break in. And the sun won't be here forever. You need, and the sun itself is sustained by him. All things are held together by him. You need this great light. You and I, I need this great light. And to receive it is going to take humility. And it's great that Jason also read out of John 1 where it says that the light has come and, and the darkness has not defeated the light. And here's the great thing is that when you, when you receive this light, it's like he, he it's not light, he, he, he comes in and removes the darkness and, he, and it's a permanent work that he does. As Jason could testify. I mean, it's almost like you could see the shock in his voice as he's giving that testimony. It's like, it just went. And I was like looking around every corner. I expected it to come and, you know, Get me again, but it, it's gone. It's never come back. God, God's work is complete. It's complete. And, and it says there, too, that he makes us a witness. If you read on in John 1, he makes us a witness. And that's important, too, because when it says thing, when I read John uh, 1, 4 through 5, and it's like, yeah, you know, the light has come, and the darkness can't overcome it. I'm like, I'm looking around the world, and I watch the news and stuff, and, you know, darkness is doing okay. You know, I don't know if you guys watch television or not, but darkness is doing okay. So what does it mean that the, that the light has come, but the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it? 
when you look around and, and, and darkness is doing okay, well, it, it, says, it says of us, it says of John the Baptist, but we can identify with this, that, that we are to be witnesses of this light. So what's happened is, is Jesus has come, the light has pierced the darkness. It's defeated death once and for all on the cross. The throat of Satan has been mortally slit. It's done. It is finished. And he's left us here on earth. He comes and he saves us, but he leaves us here on earth to be a witness to that light. I don't know if you've ever asked a question, how come when you become a Christian you don't just like go to heaven? I mean, it's a legit question. I mean, if heaven is so great and God's so loving, why doesn't he just take us to heaven? I'll tell you why. It's because he wants as many as people as possible to receive this gift of salvation. It says in Peter, he says, hey, you know, don't, don't think God is slow. Because, you know, sometimes like, come on, God, any day now, come, you know, take me out of this mess. Any day now. Hey, don't think God is slow. He's just leaving the door open for grace so that more people can come in, which gives amazing purpose to your life and my life because we are witnesses. We are witnesses. If you want to know why you're breathing in air right now, it's not just because photosynthesis. It's because God has a purpose for your life, and it's tied up in one word, witness. You're a witness. We're not the light. We don't point, hey, I did it. Why can't you? Jason comes up. Hey, he's, he's, I tried, and I tried. I tried to control. I tried to manipulate. And every time I did, it just got darker and darker. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes in one day. Whew, he did it all. He's a witness to the light. Are you a witness to the light? What are you a witness of? Here's the good news. It's part of your identity. You don't have to strive for this. You just have to be who you are. We have this thing about we don't. We just seem to act like ourselves more often. He's made you a witness. He's done something in you. You just need to let people know what he's done. Two questions as we close. Have you received this gift of salvation? If you haven't, you, you, you need to receive that today. I know it takes humility. It takes some pride swallowing. You need this gift, and he wants to give it to you, and you could receive that today. Secondly, are you being a witness? That's why you're here. I, mean, I know you have a job, but there's a work beyond your work. You've, we've got things to do, but, man, our identity, our purpose is to be these living witnesses, children of God, transformed by his grace and his grace alone not by works so that no one can boast. Predestined to walk in good works. What are those good works? It's being a witness. To. Have you received this gift? And if you have, are you, are you living out your identity as a witness? Why don't you get out your communication card?